Previously on the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. The Astros win. The Astros win. Dusty Baker has done a really phenomenal job. And I'm so glad it was JJ he had the yelling match with and not Deshaun. Because then they would have said, oh, Deshaun Watson is a coach killer. You better bring some championships if you want to be a rude curmudgeon. There will be Jack Daniels coming out of every water fountain. I'm not paying Will Fuller. I'm sorry. They went down a dark tunnel that they should never have gone down in the first place, my man. This is the bubble title. This is not real playoff basketball. This goes down with an asterisk, man. This is not a true championship. I hope you don't lose your job, but those are the kinds of things that will make you lose your job. We believe in change and we're prepared for it with new techniques and new approaches. And as for our part, we feel that you're the best pieces of manpower available in this whole region. Let it go out there today, baby. Three, two, and once again, our mighty ship is back on course. Welcome to the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Oh! Mama, there goes that man. Oh! Ladies and gentlemen, start my show. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. So glad that you have returned and uh, are checking us out again. And if this is your first time, welcome. We certainly appreciate the time. There is a ton of stuff to get into, and we have a great episode for you. And before I give you a rundown of everything you're going to hear, let me first say this. I want you guys to go to the WadesWordProductions.com website. It's where you can find everything D-Wade. Everything D-Wade is there. The Sports Talk with Devin Wade page, the TFE page, everything that you're looking for as it pertains to Devin Wade is there. In addition to that, you can subscribe to the email list. So just go down to the bottom of any page, hit subscribe, and you will get emails periodically, not frequently, from us and we'll tell you what's going on what we have coming up and maybe how you can score some some swag or where we're gonna be when covid lets up a little bit more (laughs) all of those things and uh, just a a fun way to stay connected with us also the sports line 24 hours a day you can leave a message 832-941-6614 that's 832-941-6614 and just leave a message uh, if you have a question comment anything and we'll try to include that in the very next podcast so you can do that and stay connected with us anytime you want three in the morning leave a message five in the morning leave a message two o'clock in the afternoon leave a message also on social media at wade's word on twitter and finally the sports talk with devin wade page and group on facebook so this time out with so much going on we've missed you since thursday we do tuesdays and thursdays now and you guys can give me feedback on how you feel about that But this time out, we'll get into some headlines. In addition to that, we'll get into the players and the teams that I deem to be D-Nice. They'll give the official Devin Wade stamp of approval. And then we'll hit a We the People segment where I hear from you guys and what you have to say and check in on some poll questions I posed on the Sports Talk with Devin Wade group on Facebook. And then we'll take a time out and hear from my sponsor and resident DJ, DJ Anarchy. Also in the second half, we will get into what's brand new. And then uh, for everything that's good, There's some teams that are feeling mighty low and some fan bases that are feeling rather low. And for those folks, it's still called the Blues. We are efforting to talk with our European sports nerd, Eddie Robinson. We'll try to make that happen. If not, uh, we'll get into the Lamont Award. And we will uh, tell you what's happening before I let go. So all that's happening. So let's get right into it. Let's get into some headlines. In headlines, well, hey, we are just a little ways away from Tuesday night football. Yeah, you heard me right. Tuesday night football because of COVID and positive tests around the NFL. The NFL is the league office is working. They're they're maneuvering. They're trying to keep this thing on on pace. They're, They're really working it out the best way they can. I don't know if this is an exercise in futility, if we keep getting positive tests in the NFL, but good try, NFL. And we get Tuesday night football because the Titans hadn't played in a minute, and they've had to rearrange their schedule. Several other teams have had to rearrange their schedule. There's no Thursday night football this week, so that's going on. And, of course, uh, game three 
of the Houston Astros. I want to go get into the Astros in just a little bit uh, and the NLCS as well. But uh, the biggest news, I think, and obviously the crowning of the Lakers is a big deal, but I think the biggest story uh, since I've come to you guys last Thursday was the fact that Dak Prescott uh, suffered a gruesome season-ending injury. It's not career-threatening, but it was one of those. There's been several. Uh, let's, I, the ones I think of are obviously Joe Theismann. You think of Alex Smith. You think, uh, to me, Jason Kendall. I don't know how many of you guys remember uh, from the Pittsburgh Pirates. Jason Kendall, Gordon Hayward. It's one of those gruesome, you have to turn away. Paul George is another one. One of those gruesome ones that just stick with you that you can't unsee, where your leg is facing one way, but your toes are facing 90 degrees in a different angle, uh, you know, 45 degrees in a different angle, whatever. It, it was It was bad. It was pretty, pretty bad and pretty bad looking and pretty bad because he was playing under the franchise tag. And and so now people say, well, he didn't sign a long-term deal. He bet on himself. Well, if you didn't feel like you were getting what you deserve, $31 million for one season is is what you do. He just came out from seeing the example of Kirk Cousins, who got franchised two or three years and then got his big contract. I mean, no one ever thinks that they're going to suffer that kind of injury. I don't think that he was wrong for not signing the deal. If that's not what he thought he should have gotten, if it was not competitive with what Deshaun Watson ended up getting and Pat Mahomes ended up getting, and Dallas was truly non-committal towards him in ways that weren't, I, I don't know, because I don't know how I feel about Dak, but Dak has been been putting up some great numbers uh, he's been passing the ball better than I've ever seen and I, I just thought that okay this guy's really about to get this long-term deal even if the team doesn't win because a lot of his his yardage a lot of his stats came in garbage time but it was really really one of those things that make you kind of like sad you know man, man that's upsetting that is unsettling you really hate to see that you you hope, and it sounds like he's already had a surgery. He's already out of the hospital. It sounds like he is. it's anticipated that he'll make a full recovery, uh, unlike some of the things that Alex Smith had gone through, and we'll get into him a little bit later on as well. But, well, look, I can get into it now. Alex Smith makes his return to the field as Dwayne Haskins. <laughs> it went from being the starting quarterback to the third-string quarterback to not even showing up at the stadium because of some sort of illness. Now, this is all a consequence of the NFC East being so bad, uh, at least according to the Washington football team head coach, Ron Rivera. He said, you know, he wants to make a run at a, a division title and a division that is absolutely horrible. When you look at what is going on with Philadelphia, if you look at what's going on with Dallas, if you look at what's going on with the New York Giants, they feel like, hey, we have a chance to get into this thing. And so Haskins is not where we want him to be. So let's go with Kyle Allen. Now, I don't know if that's a smart decision. I don't know. You know, you really, in many ways, you have to look at what's going the dynamic in that locker room. I don't break down film with these guys. I don't know what calls anybody's missing. I don't know if they see something. If, is he not throwing the ball well? Is he, and usually it's about making bad decisions or you're not making the right reads. I don't know that situation. I really don't. I don't know what he sees Ron Rivera and that coaching staff see, but it doesn't seem like Dwayne Haskins' future is bright in Washington, but maybe that's a bit premature. We'll have to see. But I say all that to say that that uh, NFC East is wide open, and I feel really, really bad for Dak Prescott because he seems like no matter what, you know, it's not a secret. I'm not a Cowboys fan at all, but there's no denying that this is a good guy. He's a first-class guy. He conducts himself in the appropriate way to lead a football team. I like a lot of things about him. I'm not crazy about his just his pure performance. I, I wouldn't I, there are a lot of quarterbacks that I would take over him in this league, but you cannot deny that this is a really good guy, a likable guy, and he doesn't deserve anything like this and it's an unfortunate break and we'll have to see this is a an indictment on jerry jones if he doesn't come back and look after this guy and, and really if nothing else franchise him next year i think it will be smart for them and, and again there's a lot of football left to be played andy dalton is now the starter in dallas so we'll have to see but it, it seems like he at the very least should get the franchise tag again if not 
uh, maybe look at a situation where he will get a two or three year deal and we'll have to see how that goes. There are a lot of moving parts when this, in this situation, but Dak Prescott should be the leader of this because, because you know, the Dallas Cowboys, that's, it's not an easy position to have. It's not easy to be a starting quarterback in the NFL, but it's really not <laughs> an easy gig to be the starting quarterback for the Cowboys because they are, for better or worse, they're like the Lakers. They're like the Yankees. They're there. They're one of the premier franchises in the entire country and so and around the world. I mean, you go south of the border, man, the Cowboys are huge there. Everybody likes or hates the Dallas Cowboys. And for him to be in that position, that's a pressure position because no matter if they're good or if they're really bad, they get talked about disproportionately (laughs) among all media. So it is what it is. And let's just hope this young man bounces back and gets his money and Pay that man his money. Also, let's talk about the the Lakers in the championship. Lakers win the championship, anticlimactic. I saw a number where the Sunday night game doubled the NBA in viewership. I want to say it was 5.6 million viewers for the NBA Finals. And it was almost 12 million folks tuned in to Seattle versus Minnesota on Sunday night. I don't know what the Astros number got that night, uh, but they should have had a number that night on Sunday night as well. Although they started a little bit earlier, they did intersect. And so I don't know what that number was and what does that mean about the NBA? I don't think it's about the politics of the NBA. I do think it's more about this was a trash matchup. It was a foregone conclusion that they were a better team. Miami had, for most of this series, did not have their leading score on the season. So imagine two of your top three players being out at least one or two games, and in, in Dragic's case, several games. And he ended up playing in game six. But you know, even with all of Jimmy Butler's heroics, that was not a glorious matchup. That was not a premier matchup. Had you had... The Lakers and the Clippers in the Western Conference Final. Those numbers would have been huge. Even though it's L.A., it's a West Coast thing, you're excluding the rest of the country. Everybody wanted to see that matchup. Even maybe the matchup between the Greek Freak versus LeBron. Those things didn't happen. Now we're left to judge what does this title mean? And we'll get into some of that in the We the People segment. Is this the same as any other championship in your opinion? You tell me, 832-941-6614. Was it more difficult? Was it easier? Because you didn't have to travel. You didn't have to go to some other team's opposing arena. You didn't have to stay in a foreign hotel. You didn't have to get on a plane and go through whatever you have to go through in traveling back and forth in a series. How do you see it? Because for me, this is how I look at it. You have a season. You take abruptly, up. when I mean abruptly, I mean abruptly take four months off because of COVID. You resume in a bubble where some guys don't want to be there. Some guys didn't show up. Teams are there and had an opportunity to get in the playoffs that wouldn't have had an opportunity to get in the playoffs. Talking about Portland. You look at the Clippers who didn't want to be there. You guys in and out. And you're living there. And all all that goes with that isolation uh, plays into it. And and really, if you're the best mentally prepared team, I think that played to to your advantage. But this this is no way. way, You could say it's easier or it's tougher, but it's totally different. And because it's different, it's not the same. (laughs) So it's not the same. So, yeah, they will act like LeBron won this championship, like, and history will forget the fact that all of these other factors went into this because I think Clippers were playing great basketball before the bubble, before the season was abruptly ended. I thought that other teams weren't playing as well. We just don't really know, and we'll never know, and, and that's fine, but don't. It's not the same. So whatever you want to say about it, it's not the same. So that brings me back to the Houston Astros and the ALCS. Astros have really missed some opportunities in the first couple of games. They are going to play a little bit later on against the Tampa Bay Rays and the ALCS. They're down 0-2, but this team has had 19 hits and 21 folks left on base during this series. So they've gotten to them. 
it's like the scoreboard is not reflective of really how close the Astros are to being on the verge of bursting this series wide open. <laughs> I mean, I know that's weird to say. They're down 0-2. <laughs> and and really, look, Tampa has done everything they've had to do. But I will tell you this, the starting pitching for the Astros has been amazing. Framba Valdez has done a great job. Lance McCullers, he got the three-run homer early. But that was because of an Altuve error that would have gotten him out of that inning. But nonetheless, he gave up that. After that, McCullers kind of, he, he shut him down. I think he, had, he allowed one earned run of the four. And uh, the Astros just weren't able to to overcome and they're down 0-2 but I feel good about it I feel because this team is starting to get these looks at this bullpen of the Tampa Bay Rays which is deep diverse and good and so uh, they've seen enough of them uh, of a few of them that I think that they'll start to if they can get it going catch a couple breaks here uh, they can they've really because understand this this these series the ALCS and the NLCS are seven days in a row so every single day they're playing there's no rest for the weary and the fact that Tampa Bay's bullpen has pitched a lot more than the Astros have to this point I think is a key that could give the Astros the success that uh, we hope here in Houston uh, that they need to to be successful. So we'll have to see. I'm hoping that they can pull through. Again, they're up against it anyway because of all of the injuries. Think about this. You don't have Jordan Alvarez. You don't have Roberto Osuna. You don't have Justin Verlander. Granke may not pitch in this series. So they're up against it. But still, you have a core of some tremendous bats. And we'll have to see if the Astros, in fact, are able to overcome this this is at championship adversity but this is the fourth year in a row this team's been in the alcs love them love them and i think they can get it done um, but they'll have to do it tonight <laughs> we'll have to see what they do so with that on tuesdays i like to hand out my stamp of approval for the teams that won and also the players that were really really successful on a winning team if you can check a few of those boxes, you get the D, as in D nice. That's nice. That's nice. That's nice. That's nice. That's nice. When you talk about teams that would be nice, you have to start with the Las Vegas Raiders. They go to the defending Super Bowl champs, the Kansas City Chiefs, beat them to the tune of 40-32, to breaking a seven-game losing streak at Arrowhead Stadium, and it's time to take the Raiders a little bit more serious. Speaking of taking a team serious, what about the Cleveland Browns? 4-1 and on the season after beating the Indianapolis Colts 32-23. to Are they serious? We'll find out. The Pittsburgh Steelers, not a big win on Sunday against the low Philadelphia Eagles, but what they do have is a 4-0 record for the first time since 1979. And you know what happened in 1979? The Super Bowl. The Los Angeles Lakers are the world champs, or the bubble champs. However you want to classify them, but for that reason, we have to recognize them not only as nice, but D-nice. And finally, when you talk about teams, the Miami Dolphins. They go to San Francisco and beat the defending NFC champs 43-17, and they're only 2-3 on the season, but that's a a huge win for that team in that place. When you talk about players who would be nice, you have to talk about my MVP, your MVP, everybody's MVP, Russell Wilson. And although his numbers were pedestrian, 20 of 32, 217 yards, three touchdowns, and an interception, it was his 13-play drive with 94 yards covered in 1 minute 42 seconds, which is 15 seconds left on the game clock for the victory over Minnesota. That makes him D nice. Next up, Chase Claypool for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Where did the Steelers find these guys? In a 38-29 victory over Philadelphia, he had four touchdowns, three receiving touchdowns, one rushing. He had seven receptions for 110 yards, and boy, that was D-nice. A couple of overlooked quarterbacks, Teddy Bridgewater. He was 27-37, 313 yards, two touchdowns, in a win over the Atlanta Falcons, 23-16. He's doing the damn thing. Derek Carr, we, he's much maligned. We give him a hard time, but he was 22-31, of 31, 347 yards, 
yards, three touchdowns, and an interception as he outdoed Pat Mahomes 40-32 at Arrowhead Stadium. And finally, an exception to my rule because this guy lost the game. His numbers were terrible. He was sacked six times. He was 9-17 for 37 yards, and they lost to the Los Angeles Rams 30-10. But Alex Smith got back on the field after almost dying from a leg infection after a massive injury, after almost losing his leg, after years of rehab. This guy made it back to the NFL, and that is not only nice, that is D-nice. The Washington football team has already said that Alex Smith is going back to the bench, but the fact that he had come back after such a gruesome injury, he really, I mean, he came close to dying, not just losing his leg, but to dying. And I'll tell you what, the comeback is tremendous. That is super, super D-nice. And I'm uh, Chase Claypool for the Pittsburgh Steelers. They keep finding these guys. He was a week late for my fantasy football team, but I guess, uh, you know, I had him in DraftKings. I tried to gamble with him last week he didn't give me anything this week he gave whoever had him everything because he had four touchdowns time for we the people We the People segment, I turn to you guys, usually on Sports Talk with Devin Wade page and group with questions. In addition to that, I check the phone lines, 832-941-6614. Now, this time out, I asked you guys to comment on Dak Prescott's injury. And just uh, for people who's had a chance to see it, I mean, because there are a lot of people who feel really bad, not only about the injury, which, again, he is going to recover from, it looks like, uh, a lot of hard work, but it's something that he'll be able to recover from. It's not as bad as some of those other injuries that look similar. But I asked the folks to comment on the sports line about that. But I also asked them, did they feel differently about the Houston Texans after the firing of Bill O'Brien and they get their first win on the season? And to the tune of 67%, Folks said, yeah, we feel better about the Houston Texans. 33% said, no, we feel about the same. So now I think that if they win against Tennessee, who Tennessee will have a short week coming off of Tuesday night football, uh, we'll have to see how they respond. But the Texans have an opportunity here to really regain and ignite the fan base. I know Deshaun Watson feels a little bit more relaxed. I think the environment in the locker room is much more relaxed. So maybe that will translate into more wins. Uh, I'll have to get into some of the things. I have a bet on KTSU Sports Talk that uh, we are trying to work out. So that's a a different thing. But I am vested. I'm invested and I am involved in the Texans having some a certain degree of success for the remainder of this season. But I also asked you guys about the bubble because, again, I commented on the bubble a little bit earlier about how I feel. But I asked you guys, how did you all feel about the bubble championship, the NBA championship this year? The, did you feel like it was different but just as difficult? Was it just like any other championship? Was it easier because there was no travel involved or no home court advantage or no sort of home court disadvantage or road disadvantage? Or is it not the same at all for the reasons I stated earlier in this podcast? Well, 50% of you said that it was different, but just as difficult as any other championship. 38% of you said it's just like any other championship. And 12% of you said, oh, it's easier without the travel or the road disadvantage, I guess, with the, the lack of home advantage by traveling to home arenas. And no one said it like what I said, which no one voted for that one. So that is what we have on the polls. Let's go ahead and check the phone lines. Hey, Devin, this is Errol. Listen, I watched that game between Washington and the Giants when Lawrence Taylor broke Geisman's leg, and I had the same emotions when I saw what happened to Dakota this past Sunday. I was I was really sick to my stomach to see it. In fact, every time they showed a replay, I turned my face away. I couldn't I couldn't watch it. And, you know, my immediate thoughts were, it's so ironic that Alex Smith came back the same day that this is happening to this young man. I also thought about, wow, um, maybe he should have signed that contract, but we can't really say that because 
you know, when a person is thinking on themselves, you don't expect things like this to happen. But this is a violent game, and I expect all these guys to take whatever they could get at the time. I never get on somebody for not taking a contract, um, doing the best they can to feed their family or to set up generational wealth. I wish he and his family well, and I also hope that he'll come back to full speed. And I'm looking forward to seeing him play. I'm not a cowboy fan by any means, but this is a matter of uh, a human being who suffered a rather devastating injury, and I hope that he bounces back and that his rehab goes well. Thanks, Errol, for checking in. You know what? Uh, you brought up the Alex Smith situation. We talked about it. And, uh, I mean, hey, that is a super, super comeback story. Unfortunately, he had complications because just like with Dak, uh, the bone broke the skin. I, and I hate to get sort of graphic here, but that increases the risks of infection. And so that is the next thing that we need to watch out for to make sure that no one, well, not we, but the doctor, the doctors and the medical staff need to make sure that he does not have uh, any infections uh, from that sort of situation. But he's already back at home, so he seems to be in pretty good shape. Uh, and I don't think this is as bad as Alex Smith's, uh, but I think Alex Smith's situation got worse. If that makes sense. But again, you remember the, I mean, there are a handful of them that you remember every time you see him, the kid from Louisville. That will, I mean, just some horrific things. It's just, it's just part of it, man. And these guys, we, we, talk so much about wins and losses but these are physical sacrifices that these guys make that have repercussions for the rest of their lives in, in a lot of cases and we should always try to remember that and sort of temper our criticism and maybe i'm talking to myself here although i try not to make my attacks personal let's see what we have next good morning sports talk with Devin wade this is uh jesse mitchell also known as the carverdale corporate just calling, giving my comment on the Dak Prescott injury. I am a Dallas Cowboy fan, like like Chili Bill. I think the Cowboys will be in pretty good shape with Andy Dawson as a, as a backup. Uh, he could probably start for a majority of the other teams now. So we're in pretty good hands. So we'll see what happens. And, of course, we're wishing all of the luck and a sweet recovery for number four. Have a good day, gentlemen. Talk to you later. I want to thank Jesse for checking in. He's also in my fantasy league. And he also, I mean, he does work in that fantasy. I, I thought he was in the pick'em, but he may not be in the pick'em. Because if he is in the pick'em, he's in last place. So I don't know if he – he hadn't picked in a while, so I don't know if that's him. It's the H-Town Cobras. I don't know if that's that's him, but we certainly appreciate him calling. You know, one of the things about the acquisition of Andy Dalton, everybody forgot about him. He is a decent quarterback. He was not actually the problem in Cincinnati last year. Last year they had some just some tough losses, and the defense just didn't help him out at all. But Andy Dalton is a playoff-caliber quarterback. So they're in really good hands as it pertains to having to defer to a backup. Most teams would be in worse shape if they had. He's one of the better backups in this league. I would put him up there with Jameis, and I would have to think about some of the others, but those are the two that come to mind right off the bat, that these guys are, are ready and they can uh, do it. I mean, be productive right away. So from that standpoint, Dallas is fortunate, although it was a lot of rumblings when Andy Dalton was signed in the offseason. But now it looked like a genius move because uh, you have a legitimate quarterback backing up Dak Prescott. Let's see what we have next. Hey, Devin, it's Melissa. Um, so I was calling, of course, Bill talking about the Texans. And in light of the Bill O'Brien, in light of him being fired, so now different reports are coming out and they're talking about allegedly uh, some kind of argument between him and J.J. Watt or, and or the defensive coordinator, Anthony Weaver, may have all contributed or been the final straw in why he got let go. And of course, I'm wondering how much truth is there to that. And of course, there have been rumors over the years that other players that he has gotten into it with, but the rumors of the other players that I heard that he had gotten into it with it are no longer with the Texans. But now, 
he's gone. Anyway, after him being let go, so what are the Texans going to do? Is it possible to get another head coach in or, and or general manager and turn the ship around? And how long will it take since you don't have first or second round draft picks in the next draft? So will it take two seasons, three seasons to turn things around or can it be turned around quickly? And then what kind of coach are you looking to hire? Would Eric Benneby be in the mix, a possibility, or Greg Roman? I wonder who they are looking to be the next coach to lead the team, hopefully to the promised land, so to speak. Thank you, Melissa, for checking in. We always appreciate hearing from her. Well, you know, there's a lot to unpack with it. So she talked about the rumors and reports, sort of the the feeling that Bill O'Brien has had these confrontations with players before. Now, I know a lot of that is speculation because we really kind of don't know. And I think the narrative, and I've been wanting to perpetuate that, is that this organization doesn't like guys that are very outspoken. We know how domineering and obnoxious and overbearing Bill O'Brien is and where he probably is not the type that has an open-door policy. You may not be able to just have a conversation. I would imagine he's had a lot of different confrontations with players. But here's the difference. None of this happens inside of a vacuum. I know it's easy to say, well, you know what? When it was everybody else, it was everybody else's problem. But now it's JJ, so now it has to be Bill O'Brien's problem. But it's not that simple. So you blow the lead in Kansas City. That That's a chip off the block. You trade away Hopkins, that's a big chip off the block. Now, again, he can't do that without the ownership signing off. The pushback from the fan base has been immense. And, and not with hatred, but with apathy. And I think, again, that happens. And then you get off to 0-4 stock. So, I tell you what, if they were 4-0, the conversation wouldn't have went the same way. And other people wouldn't have joined in this sort of revolt. It's been characterized as a revolt. I don't know what that exactly looks like in this context. But I will say this. If you're 4-0, it looks a whole lot different. So when you're 0-4 and you've been going through this for years and nerves are frayed, this is what you get. This happens to be a guy that's respected around the NFL and around the organization. He's a hard worker. Not that any of the other guys weren't, but I'm just saying at this point, at this time, with everything that's happened, this was the straw that broke the camel's back. Because, again, we don't have a sense for the the real day-to-day turmoil. And you don't know how many meltdowns and what this guy has done around that organization. He could have been a real monster. We just don't know that. We don't know because we're not privy to that. Not a lot leaks out of that uh, out of that organization. But as it pertains to hiring a coach and a GM, all of those things that take care of themselves in the offseason. And that's why you don't normally fire coaches. The NFL doesn't do it a lot. Like the NBA, they'll do it all the time. Hockey, they'll do it all the time. Managers are fired in season in baseball all the time. It's a little bit rarer, although we've seen it twice so far. Uh, it's pretty early in the season to have two head coaches already fired, but you just can't. I mean, you know, these teams, th- this has been building for those organizations. I think f- it came out of the blue for Houston because they have come off of winning the division and playoff success, a playoff victory last year. So this had to be a lot deeper. This had to be ongoing. And, uh, yeah, it, there's a lot to that, and we'll find out in the years to come. Uh, as it pertains to rebuilding this team, the good part about that is that you've locked down the most important position on the field. You've locked down Deshaun Watson. He's here. He's going to be here. He's paid. Everything is fine. You've locked down the left tackle. Okay, so you got those two positions locked down. You have Will Fuller coming up. Now, if you let him walk, that gives you more money to spend. J.J. Watt going into the last year of his deal. If you cut him, you you won't you won't eat that salary. You ain't you're not doing that, and nobody's gonna trade for him. So you have one more year with J.J. Then you'll have to see uh, in a couple of years. It, it should be okay if if the new GM can hit on. Late round picks, which you see organizations do that all the time. Not consistently, but you see guys. I mean, you look at New England. They don't have a lot of high-end guys that, you know, high draft picks that have panned out. What they had is a quarterback and the greatest coach probably in NFL history. So it shouldn't take as long because in this division, you don't have a dominating quarterback 
at any of the other three teams. Minshew may, won't be here more than a couple years. Rivers, this is probably his last year. Tannehill, I can't see. Maybe we'll see. We'll see what happens there. But they're run first team. But we'll see what happens there. But he's not somebody that's going to be there for the next five or six years. So it won't be long before this team could conceivably turn it around and make a run for it. But, again, they buy an eight ball without those high draft picks. A lot of people think, oh, those draft picks are overrated. I don't if you can hit on them. Because if you look at the guys who are successful on this team, they're first-rounders, second-rounders. So those are the guys who are successful on this team. So with that, going to take a time out here from Cobank Homes and our resident DJ, DJ Anarchy. On the other side, a little bit of brand new. And we will also get into Still Called the Blues and Alamon Award and a whole lot more. Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast anywhere you get your podcast. Sports Talk with Devin Wade wants to thank our sponsor, Kofi Bankus and Cobank Homes. The vision at Cobank Homes is simple. And it stems from the belief that clients can trust CoBank to guide them to realize one of, if not the single largest investment decision they will ever make, their home. CoBank simply looks to build lifelong relationships through service. They do this by using faith, knowledge, and technology to guide clients through the process of achieving their real estate goals. Be it buying, selling, or investing in real estate, contact Kofi at 832 757 7950. That's 832-757-7950. Cobank Homes through Keller Williams. Myself. Come on, so you should come along with your sexy self. And I can only imagine how your ex has felt. She can't keep her pants on, she need an extra belt. Bending corners in my black jeans, look at me creep. Thick bitch in a blow body soap that look like mistake. Your technique's kinda unique, it's easy to sleep. And it's easy to get me hard, cause your rivers is deep. How you doing? Welcome back, music from our resident DJ, DJ Anarchy, and to have your music heard, if you are a DJ, if you are a musician, if you're in a group, local or regional, whatever, whatever the case may be, wherever you are, if you want your music heard on the podcast, if you have a friend's music you want heard on the podcast, please submit it to music at wadeswordproductions.com, music at wadeswordproductions.com, we'll play a snippet at the halfway point, and an extended portion of a mix or a whole song at the end of the podcast so the genre doesn't matter we want it to be radio edit so well you know we want to do it that way but the genre doesn't matter any kind of music we will accept it music at wadeswordproductions.com um we're gonna get into some uh, what's brand new but i want to uh, acknowledge the passing of joe morgan and boy that was a that's a tough one i had an opportunity to interview him briefly just once when the Astros were honoring and retiring the number of Jimmy Wynn. And I was a huge, huge fan. Now, let's see. Let me run this down. The first baseball memories I have, he was already with the Big Red Machine. But he'd been with the Astros previously. And then I remember when he came back. But he was a part of that, uh, sort of one of the, the enemies of my team. Because we watched a lot of baseball as, as kids, so we watched the, the Pirates and we watched the Dodgers. I knew all. The, I knew all of the the NL teams. I could tell you a great number of players on mostly every team, and and also because I had baseball cards. But Joe Morgan, I was a big fan of Joe, and more importantly for me in my relationship with baseball, he taught me so much in his 21 years of doing Sunday night baseball. If he's not my favorite commentator, uh, a color commentator, a color analyst ever in any sport, he's right there. Because you could just sit there and relax with those guys. And it was just, you could learn a lot. You can learn about the game. You love the, to hear some of the stories. Just, first of all, color, being a color analyst for baseball is, is the toughest gig. And because you do have time to feel and you have to be entertaining and informative. And it's much, much tough. I do football. 
And baseball is much, much tougher than doing football and basketball as well. So, uh, you know, when you get a good baseball color analyst, and to me, none better ever, ever, ever than Joe Morgan. But he uh, he passes away at the age of 77, a big-time Astro. And uh, he acknowledged the Astros organization saying, hey, this is where he learned to play baseball. This is where he learned to be who he became for the Big Red Machine, two-time MVP, and all that good stuff. So um, just uh, thoughts and prayers to his family and to all of the fans around the country who remember and uh, will uh, miss Joe Morgan. Man, he was a great one. And on the field and in the booth, he was the dude, and uh, we'll miss him uh, greatly. With that, let's get into what's brand new. Brand new, brand new, brand new. The brand new segment is when I talk about what's brand new in my life. But since COVID, the conversation has sort of changed, and we seem to talk more about, or I seem to talk more about, Political issues. Because the more you pay attention to what's going on, you want to vent somewhere. And luckily for me, I have a podcast. So if you're not interested in this part, and if you don't share some of my values or, or my political leanings, then of course you can just fast forward to this and get back to the sports stuff. But let me say this. I watched some of the confirmation hearings uh, for Amy Coney Barrett. And I have to tell you, I have not been very kind to this lady on Twitter. And I know who, I know the prerequisites that uh, Trump looked for uh, when he was going to nominate a Supreme Court justice. The urgency comes from that. And so he's doing this right now because there's a case about Obamacare on November 10th, right after the election. He wants to make sure there's a conservative there to strike down Obamacare. So he's plotting with this political. She, she says, I don't want to be a pawn. You're a pawn. You're, you're, you're more than a pawn. But if I'm the Democrats, I don't even participate in this process because it's a farce. Because, and then they said, well, don't. Well, what about packing the court? Yes, we should pack the court. Because guess what they've done? The last two justices of the Supreme Court shouldn't have been appointed by a Republican president. This process shouldn't even be going on until after the election when the new president can name the ne next uh, justice of the Supreme Court. So now, again, maybe I'm boring folks with this, but it's, this is important because if you are under 26 and you're on your parents' insurance, medical insurance, that's out of the window. If you have a pre-existing condition, which many more people will have after having COVID, you have a pre-existing condition that may not allow you to get health insurance at all. So, I am this is and I've not been nice to this lady because she looks heartless. And I know you cannot judge a book by its, uh, its cover and it's not fair and it's wrong, but she looks like in my deepest darkest nightmares, the villain looks like her <laughs> because she's not she doesn't look like somebody that is you know she looks like oh yeah, the the neighbor next door. But she also looks like the person that can justify cruelty <laughs> with whatever logic she has and delivered in such a cool calm collected cold way i i need to do better about what what i've said about her on twitter i i i'm better than that oh, but i'm not but i should be but these things are important and uh if you are and i said well i won't even repeat what i tweeted but i have not been very nice to her so that's when what's been on my mind and i am getting in line to vote this week and I'm telling you, man, I am so elated to have the opportunity. And I don't want to wait in the long line, but I will. I'm going to have to. And that's fine. I'm going to double mask. I'm going to keep my distance. And I'm going to zone out until it's my opportunity to vote. I hope you guys get an opportunity to vote as well. But pay attention because what's going on around here is crazy. And I say it all the time. It's crazy. It's unprecedented. And I, and I won't even get into a lot of the other uh, sort of the, the bigger circus that's going on. But, the, you know, that particular thing, with the Supreme Court, big, big deal. I would expand the court. Hashtag pack the court. But with that, you know, for all the teams that had success, all the players that had success uh, this past weekend, there are a lot who did not. For every winner, there's a loser. And for those losers, man, you want to be happy, but you still have the blues. Johnny Taylor, cue the music. 
If you want to talk about teams who have the blues, you have to start in the ATL Atlanta because the Falcons are 0-5 and now they are without a coach. Dan Quinn got fired. The GM got fired. And Arthur Blank, the owner of that team, is trying to start anew. Even though you have all that offensive firepower, you can't win a game and you still have the blues. The Dallas Cowboys, you may have won a game, but you beat the New York Giants who are 0-5 on the season and allowed 34 points. That's on top of losing the face of your franchise with the heartbreaking injury to Dak Prescott. You all still have the blues. The San Francisco 49ers have been bitten worse than anybody in the NFL when it comes to injuries. Well, they really suffered on Sunday as the Miami Dolphins went into San Francisco and beat them 43-17. Miami's not that good, but San Francisco is worse, and they still have the blues. The Minnesota Vikings were 59 minutes and 45 seconds into beating the Seattle Seahawks on the road and sort of getting their season back on track, but they allowed a 92-yard drive by Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks. They lose that game, and they still have the blues. The Los Angeles Chargers had every opportunity to beat the New Orleans Saints in New Orleans, but a missed field goal and a missed PAT put them behind the eight ball. They lose, and they still have the blues. When you talk about players that have the blues, Mike Williams on that team, a wasted performance. Five catches, 109 yards, two touchdowns, but the Chargers still lose, and he has the blues. Travis Fulgham, 10 catches, 152 yards, and a touchdown versus the Steelers. But guess what? The Eagles still lose and they still have the Blues. Michael Bagley, the kicker for the Los Angeles Chargers, over one on field goals and three out of four on PATs. Yeah, he missed the PAT and they lose because of it. He still has the Blues. The duo of CJ Beathard and Jimmy Garoppolo, man, they were under duress all afternoon long and they lost versus the Miami Dolphins. They combined for 16 for 35 for only 128 yards and two interceptions and they have the Blues. And finally, A.J. Green, a renowned receiver, but on the season, 14 catches and 34 targets for 119 yards, zero touchdowns, and Sunday, not a single catch. And he allegedly was seen mouthing the words, just trade me. He still has the Blues. So for all those players and teams, Johnny's going to tell you about hey, Hit me up if your team has the blues. If you're a fan of a team and you still have the blues, 832-941-6614. No E-Rob 50 this time out. So we're going to get into the Lamar Award. I don't wish you no bad luck, but I hope your ship sinks. With no lifeboat and no life preserver and a school of piranhas surrounding you, you big dummy. The Lamont Award goes to the player team entity, someone in or around the world of sports that we deem to be the big dummy of the podcast. Now, I have a plot twist for you on this one, so you might want to follow along. It, this is a good one because for the first time in a while, we've delved into the world of college football. Now, we don't talk a lot about college football this year because it's been so disjointed. It's so crazy and piecemealed, and this group is doing this, and this group is doing that, and if you're a red state, you're doing this dumb and when if you're in the blue states, you don't want to do it, but you have to do it because you're pressured to by the millions and millions and hundreds of millions of dollars that are on the line. And everybody's just doing everything. The games are getting canceled, postponed, all of that. And in the backdrop of all of this, you have Dan Mullen. Dan Mullen is the head coach of the formerly fourth-ranked Florida Gators. Now, Dan Mullen took his team to Texas A&M to Kyle Field on Saturday and lost 41-38. to and although there are a myriad of things to be upset about when your team allows 41 points against the Texas A&M team that has not done well so far this season, you have a lot of things to be upset about. You have players and, and responsibilities and coaches to get after. But one thing that stood out apparently to Dan Mullen was the fact that there were a lot of fans at Kyle Field. Now, there weren't supposed to be so many fans, but in his mind, he saw too many fans. There was supposed to be a 25% max capacity on Kyle Field on Saturday. And now, the stadium holds 102,799 at, at max capacity. The official attendance was 24,709, which is exactly 24% of that 102,000 plus. So when Dan Mullen looked around, he said there were a lot more than 24,000. So what was his response to this dumbassery? He wanted to display some dumbassery of his own. So what he does is, hey, they have a home game Saturday versus the University of Georgia. Well, he says, you know what? 
I want 99,000 folks in the stands in Gainesville, Florida. I want max capacity. I want a home field advantage. And so he pressured his administration and he's telling anybody and everybody who would listen, this is what we want. 99,000. We want a home field advantage. So not only are you living off the backs of these young men, you are dependent on the folks in the stands to give you a home field advantage. Is that what we're doing now? <laughs> you need the fans to, to win a game. Uh, that's a big problem, especially 99,000 fans in the, the midst of a global pandemic. Not only in the midst of a global pandemic, but you are in the worst place in the world when it comes to the handling of COVID-19. Florida is the worst place in the world in how they have handled this. DeSantis, the governor there, is he's an accomplice to a lot of really, really bad things. And I hope history reflects how irresponsible and malicious his administration has been and how they've approached Florida. Florida, they're first by far when it comes to mishandling this pandemic. And you want 90,000, 99,000 folks to convene in that state. This is what you want, Dan Mellon. Well, I tell you what, plot twist. It seems like although he banged the drum for these 99,000, uh, his team has suspended football operations for now, and the game Saturday is in question because 19 players and staff have COVID. So you wanted to disregard the health and safety of 99,000 folks to win a football game. Are you serious? That is tremendously irresponsible and it says a lot about who you are as a man as a coach and as a leader of a program trying to develop young men not only to just football players but into men that go out into society what an irresponsible stance by dan mullen and i hope florida loses every game from here on out because dan mullen you are a big dummy you big dummy <laughs> <laughs> can you believe somebody with such a responsible position who has so, so many young men's lives and careers in his hands making such a stupid and irresponsible decision he's a legit big dummy now a lot of times i say oh you know it's tongue-in-cheek and it is I, I don't really like to go up to people personally but for you to think it's okay in the state of florida where cases continue to surge if you think it's okay to convene 99,000 people, then I, I, can, I can guarantee you I know who you're voting for. I know what your political posturing is. I don't care if they had 102,799 in Kyle Field. They weren't on the field. That was you, your team, your players not prepared, your coaching that, that was not up to par. You got beat on the field, not from fans. So for you needing fans in the stands, it says a lot about who you are. And, yeah, you're a big dummy for real. You can comment on that if you like. But before I let go. Before I let go, hey, want to thank all the folks who took time out to call. Want to thank our sponsor, Cobank Homes. Want to thank our resident DJ, DJ Anarchy, for the mix. Want to remind you guys, hit me up at the WagesWordProductions.com website. Subscribe to the email list and hit up the sports line 24 hours a day, 832-941-6614. In addition to that, be sure to follow me on Twitter at WagesWord and the Sports Talk with Devin Wade page and group on Facebook. And always remember these four things. Number one, I don't do no favors after six o'clock in the evening. Two, I ain't got no money. Three, I'm not harboring any fugitives from justice. And four, bye. This has been the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Remember, you can follow him on Twitter at Wade's Word. Thank you for listening.